Before I start uh, talking about the situation in Pakistan, uh, let me introduce, uh, thank you for the introduction. Uh, my name is Rahil, and uh, I am here in the United States with my wife. Her, her name is Mevish. And uh, we come from a city which is called Lahore. It's the second largest city in Pakistan with uh, not a large amount of people there. It's just 12 million. <laughs> yes, and uh, we live I mean, uh, with my parents, and I have uh, two siblings beside me. I mean, my elder sister and my younger sister. Uh, before coming here, I was working with the Church of Pakistan, which is an amalgamation of four denominational traditions, uh, Methodists, uh, Scottish Presbyterians, Anglicans, and Lutherans. The church came into being in uh, 1970. They decided that we have to form one church. And I used to work as a, I, I worked in different capacities, but when I left my job, I was working as a business uh, development officer uh, part of my job was to work with young people, which was excellent. I love, enjoyed it so much. I mean, when I say young people, it's between 14 to 26 people of that age. And another part of my job was to build good relations uh, with other faith communities, primarily Muslims, which are the majority faith uh, community in our country. All right, so that was the introduction. Um, I'm, as I said, I'm used to, uh, you know, doing dialogues, not just like sitting here and just telling the story. So I will encourage you to ask questions. How I will go about, I'll just do an introduction of whatever I have on the presentation. You will not see a lot of text because I will be providing the text or the content. So, and then we can, you can ask me questions. And feel free to ask questions. I'm open to every type of question. So don't feel worried. I've been asked a lot of things, a lot of things which People find uncomfortable as well, but feel free to ask, because when we talk, it's good. We know more about the otherness of the other, as I like to call it. All right, let's bow our heads. Lord, I'm grateful for this morning, uh, for your beautiful people, for your beautiful house where we are all gathered. And Lord, I'm grateful for this opportunity that you are using me as your vessel. Lord, grant me focus, grant me wisdom, and grant me the right emotions to share the story of your people in Pakistan. And Lord, let it not be, let it not, let it not be me saying the words or the content, but you make me a vessel and uh, deliver the words that you want me to say, deliver the stories that you want me to say, so that not only I share the problems or the sufferings of the people, but I also share the hope and the glory that we feel while we are in you. So that when people go out of your house today, they have a story not only of negativity, but also of positivity, of the joy that we feel in your presence. I ask this prayer in your holy name. Amen. All right. So uh, I was asked by Matthew to share the story of uh, Christians in Pakistan uh, with the church, and I, I felt um, very happy that I will be telling you my story. Um, I've already told you about what I was doing in the church, 
And just before talking about Pakistan, I want to show you a map. Pakistan is situated in the Southeast Asian region, and uh, on, the, on the north, we have China. You see that mustard-colored little country right on the left, I mean, my left of India? That's Pakistan. We have four provinces, one uh, part of the country which is still becoming a province. And uh, we are situated, uh, right now we are situated at a very interesting part of the world because there's a war on terror going on in Afghanistan. And there is, we have a neighbor everybody's interested in, which is China. So a lot of political things, a lot of proxy wars, a lot of good and bad things are going on in our country. If we can move to the next slide, I can more focus on the country. So on the eastern side, we have India. On the northern side, China. On the west, we have Afghanistan. And in the southwest, we have the country of Iran. And if I look into the south, we have sea, and then we go to uh, the Middle Eastern countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE. I come from that country right on the border with a red dot called Lahore. If I drive for a couple of hours towards east, I can go to the Taj Mahal. But unfortunately, because we have bad relations with India, it is easier to get a visa for United States than to get a visa for India. I have relatives in India which I have not, never, ever, ever met in person. Um, of course, we talk on Skype or we chat, but we are unable to meet them. So this is the geography of Pakistan. Pakistan and India used to be one country before 1947. We were a British colony. And in 47, when the British left, they made two countries out of that region. One was Pakistan and the other was India. Bangladesh used to be part of Pakistan, but in 1971, they formed their own country. And uh, I will be mentioning Bangladesh a little bit in my uh, continued narrative as well. All right, so now we have done with the geography. Let me tell you a very interesting fact about who we are as people and how many are we. As I say, we are not a lot of people in the beginning. So the whole population of Pakistan is uh, just 212 million. And it's 98% uh, Muslims, so only 2% are faith-based minorities, which are not Muslims, non-Muslims as we like to call ourselves. And the biggest uh, minority is Christians. We are probably not more than 3 million. Some people say we are more than that. There has never been, I mean, we have, census have been done in the past, but they have never told us how many we are. We think we are somewhere between 3 to 4 million. Uh, and then the second biggest uh, faith-based minority is Hindus, which primarily live in the southern part of the country, not the province from where me and uh, Mevish come from, but in a different province. And then we have other faiths as well, like Sikhs or um, uh, people uh, following Zoroastrianism. I don't know whether you're familiar with that faith. Um, so we are just two percent. By the way, when Pakistan came into being in 1947, 26 percent of the population was non-Muslim. And now it's only 2%, uh, which kind of reflects a lot on the change which is happening in the last 70 years. And the interesting story about Pakistan was that why we wanted to have a separate country of ours, because the Muslims in, in the United India decided that they need a separate country because they are not getting their rights as a faith-based minority. Because in the United India, there were uh, more Hindus than Muslims. So they said, we want to have a separate uh, country because our rights as, as a faith-based minority is not being protected. And when the founder of Pakistan, uh, our first uh, governor general, 
uh, when Pakistan came into being, he, in his first speech, he said, you're free to go to your temples, you're free to go, you're free to follow whatever religion you want to because it's between you and your God, it's not the business of the state. But eventually it becomes the business of the state and I will be talking more about that. So this is some facts and figures about Pakistan. And um, when I was updating this presentation, the figure here was 207 million. Um, and I updated that figure in September last year. So when I checked um, a couple of days ago, our census commission said it's 212. I don't know what the Pakistanis are up to. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, our national sport is hockey, but I think it's something else, anyways. <laughs> so, in just like a little bit more than a year, we just multiplied more, anyways. And then we also have a big population of Afghan refugees, almost, uh, almost uh, 10 million, I think. They say that Afghan refugees are living in our country uh, after uh, the, when uh, Russia invaded in 1979. In uh, 2007, I will show you, show you a cover of the uh, ma magazine called Newsweek. It declared Pakistan as the most dangerous country in the world. So the countries which were in the running was Afghanistan, Iraq, because the Iraq war was at its peak at that time and Pakistan, and surprisingly, they realized that Pakistan is the most dangerous country in the world for a number of reasons. Uh, primarily, Islamic extremism and uh, what I like to say, violence in the name of religion. And they made this cover, which, which was, uh, and then of course there are so many other magazines as well. I didn't bring uh, some of the local magazines that we have, which talk about the plight of Christians in particular and other faith-based minorities as well. But I just thought that I will show you this and tell you that, you know, uh, Newsweek is a very well-renowned um, uh, news agency, or new, I mean, a magazine, and they, they, they said in 2007, and our government was very unhappy with this. But this is how it is. And why we are the most dangerous country in the world when it comes to people of, uh, not, who are not of Muslim faith? There are numbers of reasons for that. I mean, uh, um, Pakistan, when it came, in, uh, came into being in 1947, the essence or the idea of having a separate country was different, as I said. But it became a very different thing. It, is, it was a fragile strait. Uh, we inherited some loss from the British because the British were ruling us. And to rule people, I mean, there were so many ethnic minorities or ethnic differences between people, and then you have religious differences with, uh, between people, so it was more like a witch's brew, as I like to call it. So they had these laws on which they kept people divided. So we inherited those laws as well. And uh, then when uh, the founder of Pakistan, because his concept was to have a country uh, which has no state religion, which is more uh, uh, Islamic welfare state, he died in 1945. And the people who took over were extremely right-wing Muslims, and they passed a resolution which basically now is the introduction to every constitution that we can have, and it's called the Objective Resolutions. And they passed it in 1949, and they said, okay, uh, all the important posts in the government will only go to Muslims. So, and then they did other things as well. So, as a Christian, no matter uh, how, uh, I mean, distinguished or high-achieving I am in life, I cannot be the president, I cannot be the prime minister, the governor or the chief ministers or the army chief or the heads of the intelligence agencies, because of my faith, I cannot be that. So, that was just one of the things that they passed in that objective resolution. And... Uh, 
Then they also did one thing with Christians, especially for the faith-based minorities, that we cannot vote when we are voting in the elections, we cannot vote towards regular candidates. For example, if like we are talking about the uh, Park Hill area, and there is somebody who's running for, say, a congressman or a representative, we as Christians cannot vote for them. Uh, we have to vote for a Christian candidate who's just running from everywhere. That person will say, oh, I am the representative of the whole of Pakistan, and we have to vote for them. So we were not supposed to vote for the regular representatives. So nobody, even in democratic situations, when we have democratic rule, people were not worried about minorities very much because they, they are not worried about their vote. Because if politicians are worried about their, your vote, they will listen to you. If they are not, okay, that's fine. You go to your representative. And my representative probably be coming from, say, Texas. So I have to travel two hours, three hours down south just to get a meeting with that person. So this is how separate electorate worked. And they kind of changed it recently. And it's, it's working better now. Uh, then there are discriminatory laws. Uh, it's, uh, the violence in Pakistan is not just physical or psychological. It's also structural violence. Like you have laws which are biased toward uh, um, non-Muslims. And the biggest uh, law which we get affected by is called blasphemy law. Now, the Brits made the, this law in the early 1900s to make people or to discourage people not to say bad things about each other's religion or the prophets or the heads of the religions. But then when Pakistan came into being, that law was changed in the early 1980s and it specifically focused on Islam and the Quran and the prophet of Islam. So if I say anything derogatory, God forbidding, if I say anything derogatory towards the prophet or the Quran, uh, the only... Uh, a sentence that is available, I mean, I can only, I mean, they'll just kill me. Most of the people get lynch mobbed instead of like, you know, if you, you are lucky if you will end up like in police custody or there is like a case running because the police will protect you apparently. But 99% of people will get lynch mobbed. If somebody just says, oh, Raheel has did that. So this whole crowd will get up, come to my house, burn it down, drag me through the streets, stone me, burn me, whatever they want to do with me. So this is, this is you know, and, and then the state will not stop you. Uh, a month ago, our Supreme Court uh, set free a woman called Asia Bibi. It was very big on the news. After 10 years, she was accused by her co-workers 10 years back that she has uh, committed blasphemy. And uh, luckily, uh, the police uh, arrested her, and her case went on. And finally, after 10 years of struggle, she was set free. Her lawyer and his fa her family has left the country because there is life threats against her, him and his family. Asia Bibi's family has probably left country as well, and she has to go out of Pakistan as well, although she's set free by the court. Why? Because the extremists will, you know, the moment you have this thing against you, you are condemned. They will just don't listen to any, they'll say, okay, they have done that. So she's innocent, but she still spent 10 years in the jail for nothing. So this is how the discriminatory laws work. And of course, religion is an extremely important part in Pakistan. It runs in our blood. It's part of your identity. If I'm meeting Matthew for the first time, I will ask him, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name? And he will tell my name, and then I'll ask him about religion. So that's how we break ice in Pakistan. OK, Raheel, uh, my name is Raheel. I'm a Christian. OK, what sort of Christian are you? Are you Roman Catholic or a Protestant? I'm a Protestant. What sort of Protestant are you? 
whether you do this, whether you eat at a McDonald's or KFC or wherever, I'm not going to say the names of the denominations because I didn't enjoy that. But this is how religion is. It's part of your identity and you cannot take it out of the system because the country apparently was, named, was made in the name of religion and people take religion very seriously, unfortunately. And then you will have, apparently you will have cows which are Muslims and then you will have cows which are Hindu, which is weird. I went to this village and there was this milkman who was Hindu and then there was a milkman who was Muslim. So the Muslim milkman was getting much more business than the Hindu because his cows were Hindu. <laughs> so that's how the business works. That's how religion works in our part of the world. And uh, I have a, me, both me and my wife have uh, names which are from our region. My first name is Rahil, which is, uh, which is Persian, which has Persian origins. While my second name has Hebrew religion, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew origin, it's Sharun. So normally when people will ask me about my name, I'll say Rahil, they'll think I'm Muslim. But then of course when they'll talk with me and they'll listen to my, what Muslims like to call in my country, liberal point of view, because I believe in uh, joyful existence of all faith communities and all, they'll say, okay, either you are, if you are Muslim, you, are, you belong to this certain sect, because the majority uh, Muslims who are Sunnis will not talk like this. Or either you are not Muslim. So, you know, people will try to gauge that. So religion is a very, very, unfortunately, very, very important part of our culture. And it's not personal, which makes me angry sometimes because it's supposed to be between me and my God. It's not something for everybody to be discussed. And when our cricket team, which is like, our cricket is like, cricket is like second religion in our country. So when our team wins, it's not just a cricket team winning, it's a, it's a victory of Islam against whatever whoever we are playing. So it's crazy. It's really crazy. And people, there are people who don't approve of it. There are people who don't like it. There are a lot of young people who don't like it. But then religion has been used for power so many times in our uh, country, so many times uh, for us to send people to find, uh, fight proxy wars in Afghanistan or in Kashmir, which is like a disputed area between India and Pakistan. So we need to keep on spreading the message of militancy, of Islamic extremism, because we want to use young Muslim men to go and fight proxy wars. And of course, because of that, we need a certain mindset to encourage people to become militants. So there is a lot of hatred in our curriculum, especially against uh, non-Muslims and primarily against Hindus as well, Hindus and Christians. In, in particular, there is, there is a hate in your curriculum. So we, were, when we were studying in school or university, so we have to go through examination and study the curriculum and we have to say things like, for example, uh, I was, in English, I was uh, reading a pair of words. Are you familiar with pair of words? You get that in grammar. And there is a pair of words, profit and profit. So profit is the monetary profit you have and the profit, the other you can have. So my teacher just, uh, you know, when he was trying to help us uh, understand the usage of these words. When he said profit, of course, that's the economic profit, so that was easy for us to understand. And when he said profit, the sentence he taught us was, Christ was a prophet. Now, it clashes with my faith, and he knew that there are 12 Christians in my class. But this is how religion is taught through different subjects um, uh, in Pakistan. So there are a lot of things. As I said, the violence is not just... Um, physical, it's psychological, it's structural as well. So this is the situation uh, that Christians live in Pakistan. Uh, one good thing about like religion being so important to us that the Christians who are there are very strong of faith. So religion is very, very strong. Some, I mean, I would even go to the extent and say that it's part of our ego. We would rather die than 
change religion. Although uh, there are a lot of, lot of, uh, I mean, everyday incidents of uh, <clears throat> forced conversions, because a lot of time Muslim uh, young men will uh, abduct or kidnap women, especially in the rural areas, and then they will forcefully convert them, and then will, they will just say, okay. Uh, because uh, we were in a relationship, so she eloped with me, and now we are married, and she has a Muslim name, so now she's converted to Islam. And if the family tries to co uh, contact the girl, they will just threaten the girl and the family that if you try to contact her, we'll kill her, and we'll kill all of you as well. And there are Muslim clerics out there who give you refuge if you do something of that sort. And you get money, and you get like a house or things like that. If you take somebody from a different faith and turn them into uh, on the pious path, so this, that is the situation, and that is why I said it's the most dangerous country in the world when it comes to if you are a, a non-Muslim. <clears throat> I hope I'm not taking uh, uh, more time than I hope you're keeping. My wife always tells me, okay, <laughs> you have taken more time. Yeah, all right, I have five more minutes to go, but I'm still stuck with the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know, you know what I mean when she says you talk a lot. <laughs> uh, this next, uh, um, there's a slide I want to show you. It's called Crimes, Crimes Against Non-Muslims. And it just shows you the crimes which are not related to the blasphemy law. I didn't specifically mention blasphemy law here because there are a lot of cases still pending in the court which are related to uh, uh, blasphemy law. But these are other crimes against uh, Christians or non-Muslims. Uh, which, are, uh, which don't seem like that they are related to religion, but l most of them are related to religion. Because you are kidnapping somebody because that person is non-Muslim and you're converting them into the right path. Forced marriages, as I say, rapes, children abuse, and missing person. Missing person is something that somebody will just pick you up and you don't know for the rest of your life where that person has gone. And why I've turned that province, Punjab, into red, because that's where me and Mevish come from. It's the most populous, uh, uh, highly populated uh, province of the country. So that's where we come from. So this is, these are the figures uh, till November this year. So this is how the situation is. And now I'm uh, about to share uh, a personal story. And I'll try, <laughs> I'll try to control myself a little bit. Because in our culture, you are not supposed to cry in front of people if you are men. You'll be thinking as you're soft. All right? So... Uh, but in America, I feel much more comfortable crying in front of people. That's not an issue. Uh, but it's still somewhere in there, you know? You can't just root it out straight away in like six, seven months. Uh, this, mar as I, I was telling you, I, was I used to work for the church, and I used to work with uh, young people, and one, of, one part of my job was to visit rural areas or semi-urban areas outside our city where Christians live in uh, small number and they don't have a regular pastor visiting them, or they don't have a regular church. So there is 10 or 12 families living together. So what part of my job was that I have to go and talk with young people who have a very basic faith. And when you have a basic faith and you are not educated or illiterate, and you are poor and marginalized, it is easy for hyper-evangelists coming from a different faith to dominate you. So you need a regular nourishment of the faith to keep yourself motivated and knowledgeable that when, when they ask you, you know, apologetics, I, I don't know whether you're familiar with that, when they ask you questions regarding your religion, uh, you're, you're, you're able to answer that properly in a nice manner that you're not getting into trouble. 
Now, what sort of questions we will get? We will get all sort of questions, all sort of stupid questions as well. I was once asked, oh, we heard you guys get married to your sisters. I said, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> we don't, can't even get married to cousins, guys. Uh, sisters are totally off limits. <laughs> and then one was like, oh, we saw, you, uh, we saw a Christian once, and he was bowing down in front of the Christmas tree. Do you guys bow down in front of the Christmas tree? And I said, no. Probably when you saw that Christian, he was decorating the Christmas tree. Because <laughs> we don't. So you have to be very strategic. You know, you have to be very strategic answering your questions. You cannot get angry. Because the moment you get angry, you get accused of blasphemy or so many other things. And so we, me and Mavish, when she got married to me three years ago, uh, she became a volunteer and she started going to me, going with me. And uh, this, was, this happened in March. We were coming back from a, a youth fellowship meeting, as we like to call it. It was like late in the night, and we were coming back to our home, and we were traveling on the main road. We were forcefully stopped by a group of armed men. And these armed men, their faces were not covered, and they all had like similar beards, and they were wearing their prayer caps and everything. So we realized, okay, this is not a mugging. They don't want our money, this is something else. Because if you are going getting mugged or something, the person will cover the face and he will not catch you on the main road, probably in a dark alley or something. So they pulled us out of our car. They just yanked open the door of my side, and they grabbed me from my hair and pulled me out. And I was wearing a seat belt, so it took me some time to open that. And I just fell down right away. <clears throat> and they started kicking me and punching me, and they, they were holding big guns, so started hitting me with the butts of the gun as well. And in the meantime, somebody grabbed one of the guys grabbed Mavish, yanked her out of the car with her hair, and put a gun to her head as well. And what they say to us is that you guys are turning young men or young uh, you know, Muslims into Christians, which of course we were not. But it is so easily, easy to get accused of that and nobody asks you questions. So they kept on hitting us and uh, apparently what they wanted was to abduct Mavish, kidnap Mavish and like, you know, hit me. I don't know what they wanted to do with me, probably shoot me or something later. But we were lucky that we got saved because it was a main road and people started gathering. And these guys kind of got a little uh, flustered by that and they left telling us that we will make an example of you and uh, no other Christian will ever have the audacity to do what you guys are doing. And normally when they say that, what they mean is they're going to make a video of you and they'll behead you on a video and then the video will be available on the internet for everybody to see and all. Anyways, uh, we went back home and we were extremely terrified and traumatized because of that. And only after a couple of days, we gathered the courage to go to the police and tell the police that what's been going on. So we went to the, I, I went to the uh, local uh, <clears throat> police station and tell them about what's going on and I put up an application that this is what happened and if you bring those guys or apprehend them, we can recognize them because their faces are etched in our minds now. And the police said, okay, we'll do our investigation, we will also provide you with protection, but first let us do our investigation. And we're like, okay, that's fine. But these people kept on <laughs> threatening us and the police were not really doing anything. So I contacted them and they said, we are still investigating it. So I thought, okay, I will have to talk some higher authority to get attention of the local police station. So I went to the office of the chief of police of Lahore, and he very patiently listened to my uh, story and everything, so he marked the application, and he said, take it to the same uh, guy uh, who heads the police station in your area, and he'll take action. So when I went to him, he just said, he was angry, of course, because he gets this thing from his officer, and he says, 
oh, we are investigating, you didn't feel that you, did, you should not have gone to the higher office and everything. Why do you guys do this, these sort of things? Why do you Christians do this? Isn't it enough that we let you stay in our country? So he was, you know, was kind of angry at me more than... And then there was no... no we, we didn't heard anything uh, from the police. And in the meantime, these guys kept on threatening us. Um, somebody will ring our bell. Some in the middle of the night, you go out and there is nobody. And then you will see people who are standing on the corner of the street looking towards your house. And then you go out, which we were not doing a lot because we were keeping a low profile. Somebody is following you. And then somebody is calling you on the phone and saying bad things on the phone and stuff like that. Okay, everything was going on. And uh, then we thought the police is not helping us. Probably we have to go to the courts and apply in front of a judge to get us at least some protection or something. So we went to a lawyer and we talked with him. And he said, yeah, it's not a big deal. But uh, <coughs> who will assure that you are coming to the court for the court date and things like that, who's going to assure your protection? Because the police is not going to give you protection until the court takes the decision. And the court cases don't end in a day or a week or a month. They take months. So you guys should go in hiding because these people are really vicious and they have long hands. They have better guns than our police, by the way. <laughs> I mean, when you see the guns they hold and the police hold, it's, it's better. And then one very, very, very unprecedented thing. I mean, the attack was unprecedented. I had been threatened all through my life because of the work I used to do. I worked in the church for 14 years. I never took it like that seriously because I was never attacked. I was, I was uh, uh, told like verbally on the phone, you know, stop doing this, stop doing that. But this time we were attacked and my wife was, they tried to abduct my wife and all. And then they dropped a fatwa at, at our doorstep. Now a fatwa is a religious decree when you go to a high-level Muslim cleric and he declares you fair game. And then he says that you guys are fair game for all Muslims in the world that they should kill you because you have, you have done something which is unforgivable. So we got that paper in the morning, like we came, my mother went to open the lock at the door and she just found that paper and that kind of pulled, uh, pulled the earth out of our feet and we were like, now what are we going to do? So we went into hiding uh, in a different city. People were afraid of giving us refuge because they don't want to get attacked and everything. So we hid here and there and we kept on changing our places. And now we are here. So this is something, I mean, I used to do this presentation a lot because uh, part of my job was to go and go abroad and tell the stories of the um, situation of the minorities in Pakistan. But I never knew that someday when I'm doing this presentation, I will be sharing uh, my story as well. And uh, if we stay in that country, probably we will also become a statistic, like what you just saw at the table, me and my wife, and uh, probably somebody else will be talking about those statistics and probably will be a statistic as well. I never thought that because we love our country and uh, the work that we were doing, it's amazing when you see change happening. It's the most fulfilling thing. I mean, it's, it's the most fulfilling feeling you can have when you see people changing, getting better, people learning how to live joyfully. That's so awesome, especially if they're living in a society which is filled with hatred on the basis of religion and things like that. But as I say, I never thought that we will become a story someday as well. So here we are. 
But while saying all these things, uh, I don't want to reflect more on that and say more about it. While saying all these things about situation of Pakistan, I, I, I know it's a very negative picture, it's a very grim situation. But the Christians there, uh, they go on about their life with a smile on their face and whatever discrimination or uh, uh, invite, invitations of conversion they get, we have to take that in our stride. And we really believe that if God has put us in that situation, he has some job for us. And that job is to create hope in a situation where there is no hope. So, this is, this is what the Christians are doing in Pakistan. We get attacked, our churches get bombed, but when you come to the Sunday, next, next Sunday in the church, if, if a church gets bombed on Sunday, next Sunday you will see more people in the church than the previous one. Because this is our way of retaliating. This is our way of saying that no matter what you do, um, we will not let go of our faith. And I want to end uh, my introduction or my presentation on the line that what you have in this country is freedom of religion. I mean, I know a lot of people would say, okay, Rahil, Rahil freedom is such a relative term and it's such a fluid term, we have to talk about it. But how we see it, because uh, some of our friends on 4th of July asked us this question, what you like the most about this country, and we say it's the freedom. Because you can be whatever you want and you can follow whatever faith you want to, and this is amazing for us. This is the most important thing. So I would just want to say that remember the people who don't have that blessing and pray for them. And most importantly, don't take your freedom for granted. This is very important. Because we don't have that and we know what it feels like. And you have that. Don't take it for granted and be grateful to God about you. And So that's what I wanted to say and I, uh, I feel quite happy and proud I said that without crying. Although there was time when I, <laughs> I fought tears. Uh, now I'm open for questions. I don't know how much time we have left.